0: Welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am, as always, as I have always been, as I will always be, Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today we're going to talk about how I just deleted my Facebook. Or rather, I told Facebook that I want to delete my Facebook. And yes, I'm sure. Yes, I'm really, really sure. And then they told me, okay, it's scheduled for 30 days from now. Let us know if you change your mind. So I told them at least. I did everything I possibly could. I've downloaded all of my Facebook information off of the website, and it is now stored on my local hard drive. I was expecting that the deletion would be immediate, but whatever. I can't uh, very well control how long they take in getting to it. So I want to talk about having been a Facebook user since 2006. Facebook as a company was founded in February 2004, By Mark Zuckerberg and some friends and some people that he had hired. And I became a power user of Facebook over the past 14 years. I used it a lot, a lot, a lot. I created a Facebook page for my wife's business. I created a Facebook page for my business. I created a Facebook page for my writing endeavors which I eventually ended up abandoning because I never posted to it, and I was posting everything to my personal page, and then we had a blog, Facebook page for On The Rocks blog, and I was posting to that. So over the course of 14 years, I used Facebook for business, I used it for the blogging, I used it to get into debates with a great, great many people, a lot of epic debates. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk... About the roller coaster ride that Facebook has been, and how I don't regret having been on Facebook for 14 years, but it is time. It is well past time that I was moving on, that I have left at this point is the right thing. That doesn't have to mean that it was a mistake to ever be there to begin with, but it would be a mistake moving forward if I were to remain. And so I will not. The reason I say that it was not a bad thing that I was on Facebook for 14 years is because regardless of all of the uh, mocking, all of the scoffing, all of the insistence that I heard from many, many people, that Facebook is just not a place for substantive discussion. It's not a place for talking about things intelligently and trying to understand other people's perspectives, et cetera, et cetera, changing minds, et cetera, et cetera. Despite all of that talk, I always maintained that Facebook was what we made it. Facebook was, if we wanted it to be, a superficial place where you share pictures of your kids and wish each other happy birthday, and that's about it. If that's what we wanted Facebook to be, then by golly, that's what Facebook was going to be. And if we wanted Facebook to be a place where we plumbed the depths of our understanding, of one another's understanding, of the theological, philosophical, moral, social, political mysteries, then that's what Facebook would be. If we wanted it to be a place where we talk about things in depth and seek to understand them, then that was what it was going to be. And if we didn't, then, of course, it was never going to be that. So anybody saying, well, Facebook is not for that, what they were really communicating to me was that they didn't want Facebook to be that or that they knew a lot of very strong-willed people that didn't want Facebook to be that. I never accepted that because if this is a test of wills, if this is a question of who's got the stronger personality or is more stubborn or more steadfast or whatever, uh, let's go, right? I will fight you. Let's go. And if you're going to be stubborn and you're going to say, no, Facebook isn't for that, I'm just going to say Facebook is for that because that's what I want Facebook to be for. And then at a certain point, you'll get tired and I'll get tired and we'll both go to our separate corners and you'll go about behaving as though Facebook is not for that and I'll carry on, Behaving as though Facebook is for that. And in the process, Facebook will be for that when I'm around. And so that's what I did. That's what I did for 14 years. I made friends. I made enemies. I I think of the Winston Churchill quote where he says something to the effect that if you have enemies, that's good because it shows that you've stood for something in your life. But I had a lot of enemies. I had a lot of people that I pissed off over the years on Facebook and uh, not most of them accidentally. Some of them I had no intention of upsetting and I didn't realize I had upset them until I had upset them. Some of them I probably could have phrased things better with. I probably could have been more effective had I given more time and attention and thought into crafting my arguments or being considerate. But The majority of them, the majority of the people that I offended and upset were snowflakes and they were self-indulgent and they were self-absorbed and egotists. And unfortunately, the conclusion I've come to more and more over 14 years is that Facebook wants people to be that way or at least is okay with accepting that collateral damage, creating echo chambers where nobody ever disagrees substantively because the algorithm keeps you seeing things that you already agree with, that algorithm is designed to reinforce leftist ideas. And if you have conservative ideas that are anti-progressive agenda, then their algorithm is going to show you that you're wrong over and over and over again until you finally just give up, shut up, and go away. And for a long, long time, I I knew this about the algorithm. I knew that that was a thing. I knew that that was a feature. I knew that Facebook was censoring and it was curating the news in a progressive, uh, biased way. I, I knew that they were putting their finger on the scales to a great extent. And I knew that there was a ceiling on how much influence, how much reach I could have on that platform. But a couple of things. One, you might be asking, why did you think that you needed to have an influence on that platform? Why did you think that you needed to have a reach? Why did you think that people needed to see and hear what you think? We're rather self-important, aren't we? We're rather self-indulgent, aren't we? And My explanation, my answer to that question after literally over a dozen years of soul searching and of having people message me to say they were unfriending me or having people just mysteriously drop off my friends list after a discussion back and forth. After 14 years of thinking about this, the conclusion I've come to is that God has given me a certain skill set. He's given me a certain temperament. He's given me a certain circumstance into which I was born at a certain time with certain parents, a certain sibling, certain surroundings, a locale, conditions, and a calling. And having the temperament and the personality and the experiences I have and the gifts that I have. I don't have all the gifts, but I do have some gifts. And I don't think I honor God by downplaying that. I feel very strongly compelled to apply what God has given me in a productive manner, in a fruitful manner. All scripture is God-breathed and suitable for doctrine, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction unto righteousness that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work means there is stuff to do. There is productivity expected of giving you these gifts. And I think about the parable of the talents, where a master gives three servants varying amounts of money to invest, and two of the servants invest, and they make a profit. And when the master comes back and he asks what was done with his money, he's reported to that, indeed, there is a profit for his investment. And the third servant says that he buried the talents in a field. He dug a hole. He put the talents in the hole. He covered up the hole because his master was a hard man and he knew it and that he reaped where he did not sow. And there's a kind of accusation. There's a kind of smear against the master's character. He was afraid to waste the money or he didn't think that the master had any right to expect his money to be invested and for him to enjoy a return on his investment. And so the master who in the parable is a picture of God and how God relates to us and the gifts he gives us, the master says, you wicked servant. And he takes the money away and he gives it to the servants who had actually invested and they had actually put the money to use. And so you have in this parable, this idea that we should be putting our talents to use. And as I look at my talents, I have a way with words. I have an ability to articulate complex, complicated things. And I have a tendency to think about complex, complicated things. And so the question then becomes, can I do this in a way that glorifies God, in a way that honors God? Can I apply these tendencies, this gifting, this ability, can I apply it in my life in a way that benefits other people, in a way that glorifies God, in a way that honors God? And so for 14 years on Facebook, that's what I did. People would be having some discussion about, theology or philosophy or politics or society or work or entertainment or culture, whatever, and I would jump in. And if the trend, as it very often was, was that people were engaging in these things in a very superficial way, in a very emotivist way, in a very self-absorbed way, how they feel, what other people feel, feelings all day, every day, I would jump in and I would bring a dose of truth. And when I say truth, what I mean is a systematic, rational approach to getting at the truth and to asking what is the truth here? Not just how do we feel, but what is true? And can we puzzle that out? Can we deduce something about what the truth is from the facts as we know them? And I would cite scripture and I would reference verses of the Bible that came to mind, which may or may not have been coming to mind just from my own memory, a little bit of uh, under-digested potato or roast beef, (laughs) or possibly it was the Holy Spirit causing me to remember those passages of Scripture, calling to memory God's Word because it was relevant to this situation, maybe, just maybe, my quoting the Scripture was because God wanted me to quote the Scripture. And to do so in a way that was intentional, that was deliberate, and that was productive. And even if they dismissed me, which often happened, even if they ignored my comment and didn't reply to it, which very often happened, even if they got upset and angry at me and decided to respond to my comment with abuse, with maligning me, with slandering me, with abusing me, rather than responding to the substance of what I just said, even when that was the case, it still honored God, I believe, very strongly, because I was providing representation in a system that wants God out. That's what secular means. Secular wants God out. So I think of Facebook and 14 years of Facebook as having been hard times very often. There were some good times. There were a lot of good times, actually. There were For me these opportunities to discuss things in a meaningful way, that was why I was there. I wasn't there first and foremost to show you pictures of my family, although I did that. If you were a friend or family member of mine connected with me on Facebook, for 14 years you saw pictures of my face very often because I was trying to be real and I thought it was funny. Over 14 years to put the face in Facebook and also to see a timeline and progression of how my face uh, changed and didn't change over the months and years. You saw lots of pictures of my wife and kids, of my home, of my projects, of my work, of the scenery that I was driving around in for work. You saw lots of pictures, and yet, quite honestly, I approached even posting pictures to my Facebook from the standpoint of how can I humanize me for these people so that when not if when we get into a discussion about politics about theology about philosophy about culture about family dynamics you name it when we get into a discussion about these things and they get upset they will think of me as a human being just like them instead of just some collection of words that they're angry at because that's what often happens that honestly, is a large part of why I took up podcasting as well. Because I felt like I'm writing these things and they're just words on a screen to the vast majority of these people. You know, whether these people like what I'm saying or they hate it, whether they think it's brilliant and it's the best thing they've ever read or they think it's absolute rubbish, it's words on a page. It's words on a screen to them. And they need to know that I am a person. We, I am a human being. I'm a human being saying these things. And maybe just maybe if I do the podcasting thing and they go back and they read something that I wrote, all of a sudden they're reading it in my voice. I do that sometimes when I'm listening to an audio book of a movie that I've seen. Or for instance, the Witcher series. I'm listening to The Witcher series, or I just finished the second book in The Witcher series here real recently. I'm taking a break from it, but I do intend to go through the whole series at a certain point, probably. I'm listening to it, and I've seen the cover art for The Witcher games. There are a series of games on Xbox, and I believe PlayStation, and computer, and all that. I watched the first season of The Witcher on Netflix before I canceled Netflix, and so now, as I'm listening to the audiobook, it's just words. It's words being spoken aloud, but it's words. There's no pictures, except in my head. And now the pictures in my head are of the actors who play these characters on Netflix's adaptation of The Witcher. And I see their face when there's a scene being described in the book. And so in a similar sense, what I wanted to do with the podcasting thing, with the video blogging thing, with even taking pictures of my family and myself and what we were doing, I wanted to humanize what I was attempting to do so that when they're reading something I wrote, when they're reading a back and forth debate that I'm having with somebody, they are not thinking this is just some disembodied idea. Because it's too easy to hate a disembodied idea. It's a lot harder to hate a person, a person like you, a person with sometimes a very beautiful life who all of a sudden you think of as having ups and downs and having good days and bad days and having a lot going on, right? You think of a father of seven and maybe you give him just a little bit of grace if he's being impatient and irritable in a debate because, for crying out loud, he's got a wife and seven children. He's got a wife that's had health problems quite often, and he works in a industry which can be stressful and very turbulent a lot of times, which has a lot of ups and downs. And by God's grace, he's been employed for eight years, somehow, some way, you know, for almost the entire eight years when a lot of people have been thrown out of work. With ups and downs. We're in the midst of a downturn still right now, but for eight years, he's worked in oil and gas. That could be stressful sometimes. If he is in the midst of working in a situation that could kill him, and then he jumps into a debate with you, and he gets a little bit saltier than he probably should have. Maybe, just maybe, when you think about him working in oil and gas, and having a wife with health problems and seven children, maybe just maybe you cut him a little bit of slack, and you give him the benefit of the doubt, and you think, I'll let that pass. Or I'll ask him about that. I'll say something to him and give him an opportunity to apologize, right? Um, Facebook was the beginning of so many discussions over 14 years. So many conflicts happened on Facebook between me and family, but between me and friends, between me and people that I thought maybe were friends, but were actually just acquaintances, uh, between me and a lot of people that were absolute strangers. In order of pain, strangers hurt you less than acquaintances that you were hoping to become friends with. Acquaintances hurt you less than people that you thought were friends, you thought you were close, or at least closer than that, and then all of a sudden you find out just how easy it is for them to dismiss you and throw you out of their lives, and then friends don't hurt you quite the same way or quite as badly as family. And so all of the above I had conflict with over 14 years on Facebook, and each one of those conflicts hurt to some extent. It disrupted my life, my real life, quote unquote, to some extent, and yet I'm always puzzled by this sentiment that Facebook Social media is not real life, or as though it's the opposite of real life. Maybe that's more what I mean. Facebook is not something other than real life. It is, you're not dreaming. You are on Facebook if you're on Facebook. And so it is real life. It is a part of real life. And it affects real life, and real life affects it. And that really is the, the big thing that we should be thinking about as we consider how we engage on social media of any kind or whether we engage on social media of any kind, is this improving life for me or for others, or is it making life worse? Is this, in some form or fashion, a wise, beneficial investment of the time that I've been given, of the talents that I've been given? Because you could say, I don't see the point at all, and you could just walk away from all social media for that matter, you could walk away from society entirely. Buy a cabin out in the mountains and go be a hermit for the rest of your days. Really, I mean, that's you could do the same thing with broader society that you might want to do with social media. I think it's a, a dumb, unnecessary, uh, knee-jerk reaction to say, well, if Facebook's not working out, then I'm just going to get away from social media entirely. I shouldn't say it's dumb. I think it's entirely unnecessary. I think it's a bad idea. Not dumb. I can understand it. I've had the same thoughts, so I'm not judging you. I'm more so talking to myself and saying, Garrett, I think that's dumb. If I live in Hillsboro, Ohio in 2012, and things are not going great, things are not going well, there's been really bad experiences, there's been some toxic relationships with some abusive people, there's been some nice people, there's been some good times, but I'm out of work. And all of the jobs I've had for the past six years of my marriage have been not paying enough, not having a future, not sending me in the direction that I want to go with my life, that I need to go with my life. I'm stressed. I'm feeling hopeless. Do I say, you know what? It's not working out in Hillsborough, Ohio, so I'm just going to end it. No. No, I don't. If it's 2006 and I'm in that situation, and I was... And I get a contact from somebody on the outside who says, you know, check this out over here. Maybe think about North Dakota. And there's a means, there's a motive, there's not an opportunity. I move somewhere else. I go somewhere else. And I get my mind right. And I get my house in order. And I get a house. Instead of bumming off of somebody else, I get my own house. Buy my own house. I get a high-paying job that pays three, four, five times the most I've ever made in my life. And I get new friends. Not that I am done with all of my old friends because some of those people I'm still connected with to this day. But I move on and I invest myself somewhere where there's going to be a higher return on investment. And so that's what I did in real life in 2012. 2006 to 2012, the first six years of my wife's and my marriage, five and a half years if you will. It did not go especially well for us in any physical, financial sense. We had four beautiful children, four beautiful sons, handsome sons, but our health was bad. Our finances were terrible. Our social life was highly depressing. We had a lot of unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships with family in the area, and it was an absolute godsend to get out of there, to move to Montana, where I'm originally from, To get a job in oil and gas, to stop working in a factory, to stop working in an office, to stop desperately taking any job that I possibly could get, even if I hated it, even if it was miserable, just so I could provide for my family and not really, not actually quite get there. You know, I went from struggling and still not getting it and feeling defeated and feeling discouraged and feeling honestly hopeless and fatalistic. I went from that to, hey they actually pay me to do this, right? Like I get paid to drive around in a brand new truck in the countryside and listen to the radio and listen to audio books all day and nobody's breathing down my neck and micromanaging me and firing me if I show up late to work because there was a car accident on the way or my family is sick and the power's out at home and I need to take today off. I went into a completely 180 scenario You know, in in Ohio, we're borrowing money from my dad and we're on government assistance and we can't afford rent. We're living in my dad's second house in Hillsborough and we're desperately poor. We were happy in a fashion. Despite that, we were thankful for what we did have, but we were desperately poor. And I went from that to not only being able to get off of government assistance, Not only being able to get out of a house that my dad owned, living rent-free, but buying my own house and helping my brother-in-law, my other brother-in-law, my brother, helping a number of people to get out to Montana and get established and get into the oil and gas industry as well and start making buku bucks as well to have good jobs. And boy howdy, that was the most satisfying thing or among the most satisfying things in my working life thus far. It was such an absolute breath of fresh air. I look at all of that and I think about social media in a similar sense. The idea that there are other outlets that we could go to besides Facebook is to me appealing because I don't want to just give up on trying to influence the public discourse. I don't believe I should. I I believe I will have a seared conscience. I will have a guilty conscience. I will feel bad about it, and rightly so. I will be dishonoring God. I will be failing to invest my talents. I'll, I'll be burying them in a field if I'm not engaging on social media in some form or fashion. If I'm not using this internet to the best of my abilities to try and honor God in spirit and in truth, taking every thought captive, making disciples, encouraging greater faithfulness, greater intentionality among Christians, sharing the gospel with people who are not Christians, who don't know what this is all about, who are desperately hopeless and despairing. That's what I need to be doing. That's what I want to do. That's what I am doing. That's what I intend to continue on doing. For a very long time, I thought Facebook was the key to that. And maybe that's where I was supposed to be for a time, just like I was supposed to live in southern Ohio for a time. And then when that time was concluded and there was an opportunity to exit, it was a relief and it was good. And to stay after that point would have been wrong. So I moved on. And so I think of Facebook just like that. It's time for me to move on. I want to explain a little bit more why. Why I think it's time, why I have felt that it was time to move on from Facebook, to delete my Facebook like I did this morning. For one thing, I feel the Spirit leading me to do so. After prayerfully considering it in light of current events, recent events, I am doing what I believe God wants me to do in this regard, getting off of Facebook, moving in another direction, encouraging others to do likewise. It's a sinking ship. Get out. Man the lifeboats. Maybe that's a bad analogy. Maybe that's not quite exactly what it is. I don't think it's a sinking ship necessarily so much as it's a pirate ship. You thought you were on this voyage across the ocean to go see your relatives or explore the new world. You're going into the 21st century, the future, and this is the ship that's taking you there you and all your friends. And what it really is, is the island, the fun house in Pinocchio, where Pinocchio is taken up with these bad kids to this very fine amusement park where they're going to just behave as if there are no rules and they're going to smoke and drink and play cards and curse and misbehave and fight and get into all kinds of trouble. And then as the night goes on, They start turning into donkeys, literally. Like, tail starts sprouting, and long ears start sprouting, and before they know it, they're all donkeys. Jiminy Cricket tells Pinocchio that we need to get out of here, and he tells him, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to stop it. Pinocchio says, ah, no, I don't want to. Get out of here. I don't want to hear that. Well, then he starts seeing his buddies turn into donkeys, and he starts feeling himself turning into a donkey, and so... Long story short, it was all a facade. The whole operation is controlled, contrived by Stromboli, I believe is who it was. He's got this setup, which he knows turns these boys into donkeys. And once they're donkeys, then they get bridled and they are put to work in the mines. And all that fun is over. They had their fun. Now it's time to be beasts of burden they're slaves, they're trapped, they're brute beasts, incapable of reasoning, incapable of arguing their case anymore. And thank God for Jiminy Cricket, because he may not have stopped Pinocchio from going in there at all and becoming an ass at all, but he did stop him from becoming a complete and total ass. And so Pinocchio gets away, he escapes, that's what i've been trying to do that's what i've been trying to do and i think that facebook is that amusement park that is turning us into asses and if we just throw ourselves all in into the revelry the way that it is designed it is designed to turn us into ultimately beasts of burden it is a way of turning us into unthinking uncritical unreasoning animals who are the slaves of someone else and it's time to go it's time to get off the pirate ship that we thought was taking us to this glorious new destination because it turns out that the pirates are about to throw the shackles on. And Where you're actually going is you're actually going to a slave market. You're going to be sold. and At that point, it'll be a little late to hear I told you so from me and to have it make much of a difference. You're not being uninformed being misinformed. You're not being just not led. You're being misled. And so what I'm doing is I'm getting off. I am putting my energies into whatever small circle of friends and family I have enough influence with to encourage them to leave with me or whatever friends and family are like-minded enough to where they see these things as well. They have come to the same conclusion that I have that it's time to go. Those people, those like-minded people, we're going to rally over at MeWe. And if they want to be connected with me on Parler, they're welcome to do that as well. I'll stay connected with them via email and text message if I can. Hopefully, I have some ability to stay in touch with them in real life, face-to-face, from time to time at least. But I'm going to put my energy into podcasting and writing my book and doing something of lasting value that some punk over at a social media office in Silicon Valley can't just arbitrarily decide nobody needs to see or hear. I'm going to put my energies into something that cannot be so easily abolished and negated. My wife's not convinced yet that it's time or that she should. And I told her yesterday, I said, I'm going to stop harassing you about it because I kept, I kept on bothering her about it hey, when are you going to get off Facebook? When are you going to post more to MeWe? And I got to thinking about it. And maybe this was the Lord convicting me. Maybe this is wisdom. I don't know. I did tell her. I said, you know, you have always used Facebook in a different way compared to what I do. And you have your Evelyn Ever After Evelyn Ever After business on there. And maybe you should just stay on there and use that as a way of selling your selling goods. You know, if anybody is looking for me, for the foreseeable future while you're still on there, and they didn't see my message saying, here's my contact information, here's how to get a hold of me, here's where I'll be if you're in need of me. Anybody that didn't see that, who's the first person that they're going to go to? They're going to go to my wife, Lauren. They're going to say, hey, where's Garrett? How do we get a hold of him? So maybe it's best. Maybe it's best that she was reluctant. Maybe it's entirely proper for me to be getting off of there for her to stay for a little longer still. But I think the time is short. The time that we have in which it is beneficial to be on Facebook is very, very short indeed. They censored the President of the United States of America. Twitter also, to a greater extent and more flagrantly. They've censored conservatives, Republicans, conservative commentators, thinkers, Christian content. They've deleted pages. They've shadow banned accounts. They've given suspensions for people doing anything that challenges the progressive narrative and agenda. Why that is a bridge too far, why that is a no-go, is that the progressive agenda is slavery, ultimately. You have a lot of people that think they're having this fun time, like Pinocchio and his friends, and ultimately they're being turned into asses, and the end for them is to be beasts of burden. And so when you have a system designed to silence Jiminy Cricket from warning, hey guys, we need to get out of here, that's enough. At a certain point, it's time to leave that system, and to go find a new system. You think about the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these... Are the rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness governments are instituted among men to preserve these rights and when any government becomes destructive toward that end rather than productive rather than protective it is the right of the people to alter or abolish that government now i have an obligation i feel for closure's sake for your sake to persuade you for the sake of those who are confused, to help them understand, to make my reasons for separation clear. I am leaving Facebook because they have censored my content, because they have maligned me, because they have suppressed my ability to reach people, which is the whole point of why I was on Facebook to begin with. I shared pictures and videos of my family, of what I was doing, of myself, by and large, as a means to the end of being able to humanize my point of view so that when people listened to what I was saying, it wouldn't just be words on a page. They would realize in context, this is who Garrett is, and they might just listen, and they might just consider it. So if Facebook left my pictures and my videos of my family and myself and my work, if they left those alone and those garnered 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 likes. And all of a sudden, when it comes to posting an article that I've written on my blog or a podcast episode, those were getting one, two, three likes. What's up with that? Somebody will say, well, we saw your content. We just didn't have time to read it, listen to it. Okay, think about this for a second. Where did you see it? Where did it show up in your feed? Did it show up at the top of the page? Maybe it did. Did it show up 10 items down? Did it show up 20 items down? You were just going to jump on Facebook for five minutes, and so you did, and four minutes and 45 seconds is when you saw that I had just written an article recently, and that article was going to take about four minutes to read, and you said, well, I see it, but I don't have time to read that right now. And then you forgot about it because the next time you came back to Facebook, There was another 10 things that caught your attention first because the algorithm amplified those, whether they were advertisements, whether they were posts from your liberal or leftist friends. That's how it works. That's how Facebook works. That's what insiders at Facebook have been telling Project Veritas and others for years. We know that with regards to Google, that Google has been able to swing elections just by where they place positive stories and negative stories for this candidate or that candidate in their search results. If the first five pages of Google search results for Donald Trump are all negative attack articles and stories and unflattering videos and pictures, things that make him look like a big idiot, Are you more or less likely to vote for Donald Trump if you're a low-information voter that looks at the first 10 pages, five pages of search results? You're less likely. If Joe Biden searches yield pictures and videos and articles talking about how great his presidency is going to be for the country and the world and all the wonderful things that he's ever done or thought or felt or smelt, uh, you know, if that's what it is, then are you more or less likely to vote for Joe Biden? Well, you're more likely to vote for Joe Biden. You're less likely to vote for Donald Trump. By some researchers' accounting, Google can swing 15 million votes one way or the other based on just their search results, based on what shows up, where, placement, because the vast majority of people are only going to look On the first page, they're going to read a few articles, a few headlines, maybe even just headlines, not the actual article, just the preview for the article on the first page. They're going to derive a impression of having been informed from that and they'll be on their merry way because a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people are intellectually lazy and shallow and superficial because the education they received, no offense, was horrible. It was terrible. They received a terrible education, not because there were no facts that were presented, not because there was nothing they learned, but because the what they learned was how to be emotivist and how to be shallow and how to be superficial and not do your research and not do your digging. They weren't taught to have an integrated worldview that includes their belief in God, their Christianity. They weren't taught critical thinking skills. They don't even know what critical thinking skills are. They don't know how to spot a logical fallacy. So at a certain point, it behooves us with regards to Facebook, Google, Twitter, to pull the plug, say that's it. I did it with Netflix earlier this year when they came out with this movie or promoted this movie, Cuties, which was normalizing the sexualization of 11-year-old girls. I canceled my Netflix and I'm not boasting. I think you should too. I think you should cancel it, and I think you should send a clear message to Netflix and the rest of Hollywood that we are not going to go for that. You cannot convince us that pedophilia is just okay. It's just like anything else. People are people. Love is love. The wealthy people that sponsor these movies wanted to avoid prosecution in case they get caught, in case their hard drive is confiscated at some point and child pornography is found on it. If they can put it on Netflix, and we all watched it, then we all just think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I canceled my Netflix. I just recently canceled my Twitter and deactivated my Twitter, more to the point. Because Twitter was going to flag every last thing that President Trump tweeted from now until Joe Biden is given the Twitter account, regardless of what happens. They're planning on giving Joe Biden the Twitter account for POTUS, for the White House, etc, etc. Deleting all of the tweets, resetting the tweet count to zero, and doing the bidding. They're going to not only not censor, not suppress, not slander the President of the United States of America as if they are actually the real power here. They are actually the ones in charge and in control. They're actually ruling. They're not going to just censor uh, Donald Trump they're going to just not censor Joe Biden. They will gleefully do his bidding. I deleted my Twitter because of that. Facebook puts little writers, little brainwashing, manipulative writers on everything I try and post about election fraud. There's evidence here. There's evidence here. There's evidence here. There's evidence here. They put writers saying basically there's no evidence of voter fraud on every last little thing that I post about voter fraud about the election, about the litigation. Because I'm trying to encourage Republicans and conservatives and Christians to support this effort to investigate, to get to the bottom of it, to clean it up if there is indeed fraud, which I am almost certain there is. I could be wrong, but I'm almost certain there's massive widespread coordinated conspiracy to steal this election on the part of Democrats, and they don't care. They're capable of anything because they have means, motive, opportunity, and the character. So goodbye, Facebook. Bye, Felicia. Goodbye, Facebook. So long, and thanks for all the fights. Thanks for all the frustration. On your own heads, be it. I'm going to go over to MeWe. I'm going to recreate my social media presence there. I'm on Parler. I'm on MeWe. I've created a Rumble account. I'm going to move my videos over there. I've got an Anchor FM account. I'm going to do the podcasting thing. I'm working on a book. I'm going to do that. This is Why We Homeschool is the name of my book, by the way. And This Is Why We Homeschool is a book about why we homeschool. Go figure. Because there's a lot of people that really need to, just like I'm getting off of Facebook and just like I deleted my Netflix account, they need to get their kids out of public schools because their kids are being taught to be little antifa members and little black lives matter members they're taught to be little socialists who think alexandria ocasio cortez is really smart and wonderful and brave who think that it's wonderful that kamala harris is going to potentially be the vice president of the united states of america because of the color of her skin not because of the content of her character i'm writing a book and this is why we homeschool because we homeschool i have seven kids We're homeschooling them. I was homeschooled. My brother and I were homeschooled. I have a lot of first cousins that were homeschooled. We're going to a church with a lot of homeschoolers. I want to talk about how you can homeschool too. It's not that hard. It is hard. Don't get me wrong. It is hard. It's not that hard. It's not so hard that you can't do it. It's not so hard that you shouldn't try. It's not so hard that you should give up before you've even started. It is worth it. It is hard. But how much harder is it going to be if 10, 20, 30 years from now, your kid is a Marxist. Your kid didn't get a good education and doesn't know how to critically think and doesn't know how to defend ideas, doesn't know how to reason with people, doesn't know how to make decisions. How hard is that going to be? Now's the time to count that cost. So I would say, if at all possible, if at all feasible, get off Facebook, join me. Join me over at MeWe. Join me over at Parlor. If you're not in a position to be putting out content like this, help me. Help me to put content out like this. I could use your support. I really could. I've become very resistant to opposition when I think the opposition is not of God, when I think the opposition is comprised of people's selfish desire and unfaithfulness, but I could use your support. I don't want to give the wrong impression that I'm just this one-man show that I go off and I just do my own thing and I don't need you. You know, people that might be supportive, what they conclude when you say, I don't need you, they conclude you don't need them and then they don't help. No, I could use your help. I could really use your help. I've moved a lot in my life. We moved a lot growing up and then Since becoming a father and a husband myself, we moved from Ohio to Montana back in 2012, as I said, moved into a rental house. And then about a year and a half later, we moved from a rental house into a house that we had bought in Sydney, Montana. And then last year, last September, we moved from our home in Sydney, Montana, down here to Greeley, Colorado. And it's a very common thing for me when I'm moving to not ask for help and I don't like asking for help, and I don't like bothering people. And if there's any way possible that I can just do it all myself, I do. And especially as I get older, and I'm not as spry and energetic as I used to be, and I'm far more busy and far more spread thin than I used to be. And I have far more stuff because I have far more people depending on me. uh, It's, increasingly impossible for me to do what I need to do as far as a move without help. So when I moved down here, thankfully, thank God, Paul Turek, pastor of Faith Alliance Church in Sydney, Montana, asked, do you guys need help? Do you need help packing? Do you need help cleaning? Do you need help loading the truck? And thankfully, my pride didn't get the better of me. And I said, yes, yes, that would be great. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. And the whole men's small group came over and helped us get all of the heavy stuff, all of the big furniture items that we're going to take two people to lift and carry into the truck and load it up and secured. And several women from the church, including the pastor's wife, they came and they helped clean. They helped my wife clean when she had just had a knee surgery not all that terribly long before. And when we got down here, I hired a couple of movers and my dad came down and my brother came over. My sister-in-law came over and we got everything unloaded. We got everything brought into the house, put where it needed to go. And the point is, I couldn't have done that all by myself. I can't do this all by myself either. Your encouragement, if you have encouraged This is much appreciated, and I thank you. I am doing what I believe I ought to be doing. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it perfectly. So if you can see ways that I could do it better, let me know, because I want to be faithful and effective and not just making moves for the sake of making moves. I don't want to have unproductive activity. I want it to be productive activity. If what I'm doing is working and if it's helping, if it's helping you or people that you know, let me know. I could use that encouragement. If you have ideas for things that I could be talking about here that would be especially relevant topics, questions, issues, let me know. I want to be as helpful as I possibly can be to you in this medium. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it with people that could benefit from it. If what I'm saying is true, if it's not true, then call me on it. Let me know how it's not true. If it is true and it is helpful, then share it with people. And if you're afraid to share it with people because they might think ill of you or that might be embarrassing, then maybe, just maybe, you need to keep listening because I'm trying to inject some courage into you. And we need to have courage and we need to count the cost of not speaking up now. The stakes only get higher as we go along here. This is the time to count the cost. This is the time to make our shots count. So with that, if you've listened thus far, if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for your encouragement and support thank you as always I will be praying for you I wish you well reach out to me on MeWe Parlor you can find me also at garramullet at gmail.com G A R R E T T N U L L E T at gmail.com I believe also here on Anchor you can respond directly on the podcast episode and send me a message try it out try it out and see if it works let me know it doesn't using one of those other means but in any event thank you so much for listening and god bless